This message is a product of Vortex Church in Albemarle, North Carolina. We thank you for engaging this conversation. Messages like this one are great resources to help us grow, but they cannot replace being a part of a local church. If you're not actively a part of a church, we encourage you to find one near you that fits you, visit it, and get involved. And we hope this message gives life to you today. Enjoy. As we get started today, let me ask you this question. Have you ever made an existing mess messier? Have you ever made an existing mess messier? I, I, it's interesting that the seasons of life that we find ourselves in kind of define the messes that we talked about. And so for me, like we're in a very young family stage. We actually have a seven week old baby at home and he's awesome. He is great, but babies make messes. And I wasn't so used to this because I didn't grow up around a lot of babies and I didn't grow up holding babies and I didn't grow up changing diapers or any of that sort of stuff. And so when we had our first baby, I learned right away how to change a diaper. My mother-in-law taught me I changed my daughter's first diaper. And then we had our second child, who was a son. And then we have our third now, who is another boy. And I learned something pretty quick, that girls and boys are very different when it comes to changing the diapers. And it, it was a shock to me. I had heard the stories and I had seen the products that were designed to prevent the mess getting messier, but I, I just wasn't prepared for it. So the first time I changed my son Clayton's diaper, it went very differently than it did with my daughter because he relieved himself all over me, all right? which a mess just got messier. And it's interesting that sometimes when we find ourselves in the midst of messes, we make them messier. And I think that part of the reason is that every mess comes with bad options. If you find yourself today in a mess, maybe professionally or relationally or emotionally or financially, all of those different types of messes uniquely come with bad options. And part of that is that these options present themselves often as quick fixes, but they tend to make things much worse. They look like a quick fix, but it's not. It's actually going to make the the problem worse. And so what I'd like to do is I'd like to zero in really for the entire time of our talk today on a story out of the Old Testament. It's really dealing with King David and King Saul. And I love this story. It's one of my favorites in the whole Bible. And if you grew up going to church, you probably already know this. You may know the background. David was just a shepherd boy. God had installed and appointed King Saul to run the whole nation. All right, and so, and so David is just a shepherd boy, but God sends the prophet Samuel to his family where he pulls David out of the, the fields where he's watching the sheep, and as a shepherd boy, he anoints him to become the next king of Israel. But the problem is obvious. He's anointed to be the next king, but there's already a king. There's already a king, which is going to create a lot of tension. All right. It would be like being married to somebody and someone showing up and saying, God has appointed me to be your wife's next husband. Right. That wouldn't go over real well at my house. Probably not at yours either. 
All right. And so there was this tension that began to mount as the story begins to grow. And it really escalates in the wake of the whole David and Goliath thing. You've heard that story, right? But think about this. In any society where there is a major war hero, that war hero becomes like a, a celebrity overnight. And you know the story. David shows up to the front lines. The Philistine giant Goliath has been shouting, kind of harassing remarks about God to the armies of Israel. And then all of a sudden, right, David says no more. I've sized this guy up. He doesn't seem as big as the bear or as intimidating as the lion that I've already killed. I'm going to go at him. And he does, and he kills Goliath. And in the wake of that moment, David becomes an overnight celebrity in Israel. And the tension begins to mount and begins to mount. And look at how the scriptures describe this. David continued to succeed in everything he did for the Lord was with him. It seemed to be that no matter what David did, there was success that followed. God was with him. God was raising him up. But look what also happened. When Saul recognized this, he became even more afraid of him. And all of Israel and Judah loved David because he was so successful at leading his troops into battle. Now pay attention to this. He was successful at leading his troops into battle. David was a shepherd boy. He was a shepherd boy who God anointed to be the next king. There's a principle that's there. That when God's called you, all you have to do is be you. That's all you have to do. Eventually, God's going to take care of everything else. You don't have to make it happen. You don't have to. And, and, and actually, this is going to be the tension that David is going to find himself in. Because Saul, as he begins to see David's fame rise and his influence rise, is going to be awfully intimidated by him. And so David, Saul begins to try to, to manipulate David through his daughters. He offers his daughter's hand in marriage. And finally, actually, one of his daughters, David loves, and the daughter loves him too. And so he, he kind of creates this scheme. All right, so what I'm going to do is instead of asking for money for her hand as a dowry, which would have been normal, all right, I'm not even going to ask you to serve and give me time and service. Here's what I'm, I'm going to ask you to kill 100 Philistines and bring back the proof that you killed them. And look at what he actually says to himself. He says, For Saul thought to himself, I'll send him out against the Philistines and let them kill him rather than me doing it myself. I mean, how, how manipulative is this? As he's trying desperately to hold on to what he feels like is going to become his inheritance to pass on to generations in the future. I'm gonna, and you know what David does? David doesn't just come back with 100. He comes back with 200 as proof. It doubles the asking price. And in this moment, this is what happened and, and is recorded here in verse 29. When Saul realized that the Lord was with David and how much his daughter Michael loved him, Saul became even more afraid of him and he remained David's enemy for the rest of his life. Remained his enemy. Imagine this. Imagine a father-in-law that hated you so much that he wanted to kill you. Imagine a boss 
that you felt like God had one day said, I'm going to put you in that, but the boss who was doing everything that he could in his own power to try to get you fired. That's where David found himself. What a horrible position. And Saul eventually is going to, instead of trying to send him out into battle, Saul is actually going to try to kill him himself. There are times that he would throw spears at him, and it becomes really difficult for David. So David, as an outcast, gathers other outcasts that have been exiled with him and flees the the tyranny of Saul. Now, Saul would have been a political leader. There would have been a lot of political enemies of his in the community. And those people all of a sudden became David's friend. And so we see that David has got a big mess on his hands. And it's not his fault. Can I just stop and say something to you today? You might be here today. And you might be in the middle of a mess that's really not even your fault. There are some of you that your spouses have done things that have hurt you and wounded you. There are some of you that have had bosses and coworkers that have done things that were difficult and and hurtful. And you're in a mess and it's not really your fault. And we're going to see in David a way to not make that mess messier. So after Saul, Saul is again out and warring with the Philistines. This is a group that, that constantly the Israelites had, had tension with. After Saul returned from fighting the Philistines, he was told that David had gone into the wilderness in En Gedi. Now, this means that David had fled. David let, and, and En Gedi was, is kind of like a desert region that throughout that has several spring heads. If you've ever been to Israel, ever been to uh, the Dead Sea just south of Jerusalem, this is the the region known as En Gedi. And find out, this is what Saul does. So Saul chose 300 elite troops from all of Israel and went to search for David and his men near the rocks of the wild goats, which is actually a specific place. This is a a springhead in the middle of En Gedi. This is what they're talking about right here. All right. So you can see surrounding it, all right, mountainous desert. But sporadically throughout the the desert, there are these springheads which create an oasis type look. All right. Now, this next picture shows something which is important. Now, throughout some of the walls of the cliffs surrounding that, you can see that there are caves that throughout history have either opened up or been cut into the, the walls of the mountains. All right, and this is where David chose to go and chose to hide. So this story is going to begin to unfold as David and his men are there. Saul has amassed a, an army of 3,000 mercenaries who are highly skilled at war. And they have set out to find David. So look at this as it continues on. In verse 3, at the place where the road passed some sheepfolds, Saul went into a cave to relieve himself. Just so you know what's happening there. As he didn't go take a nap. <laughs> All right. This is one of the few passages in the scriptures where the Bible actually talks about using the bathroom. And if you're the parent of a middle school boy and you're really confused as to what's in the Bible that would be interesting to him, this is maybe a passage that you could go to and study. 
because it talks about the bathroom. All right, so Saul goes into the cave, but look what, what's happened. But as it happened, David and his men were hiding further back in that very cave. All right, this is the massive fail on the part of Saul's regime, all right? Nobody went and checked out the cave. There's been no exploration. The bodyguards haven't done their job. And here Saul is literally caught with his pants down, all right, in a cave with David. And look what his men to say to him. Now is your opportunity, David's men whispered to him. Today the Lord is telling you, I will certainly put your enemy into your power to do with as you wish. Think about that. His, his friends are saying, listen, this is obviously a sign from God. He delivered Saul to you. He's trying to kill us, and you can kill him right now. But see, I want you to know something about messes. This is very important. Most of the messes that we face in life are actually the result of a character flaw. The result of a character flaw. All right, there's something that's not right in our character. And in this moment, David is going to kind of deal with a crisis of character. He's going to have to decide what kind of person is he going to be. And here's the problem with character. If you ignore your character, you'll eventually make a mess. If you ignore your character, you're going to eventually make a mess. If you're the person that only cares about the outcome and the result and you don't pay attention to who you are and the way that you do things, you will eventually make a mess. And the problem with character messes is you can't get out of a character mess with another character flaw. And a lot of times... We think that two wrongs will make a right. Where I've, I've been doing something that I shouldn't have done and I probably should tell my spouse, but I'm going to keep lying about it. Or I, I, I stole a little bit of money at work and you know what, I'm, I'm just going to cover that up and, and I'm going to keep lying about it. And if I have to, I'm going to make it seem like somebody else did it, but I'm, I'm not going to do it again. If you ignore character, you will make a mess. And so the story continues as, listen, David crept forward and cut off a piece of the hem of Saul's robe. Now, here's, here's the thing. David, at this point, is a skilled warrior. He, he is a, a Navy SEAL of his day. He could have snuck up behind Saul with Saul never even knowing what was happening. And there he was, so close that he could touch the hem of his garment. And he cut off a piece of that hem. And this is going to become a defining moment for David. Because in that moment, something shifted inside of his heart. See, Saul would have never known what was coming. The last thing he would probably have ever felt would have been a little yank of his hair as David pulled him back and plunged the sword into him. But David, 
I think in that moment was faced with a question that we all are faced with in those moments. And it was this. Do I want this to be my story? And it's as if I'm, I imagine David flash-forwarding 30 years and thinking, what would it be like if I were there with my grandkids? And my grandkids came up to me, Granddaddy, can you tell us a story of how you became king? Well, um, I caught the last king using the bathroom and I killed him. Because that's what his story would have been. You know, in the moment of crisis, we need to realize that sometimes the temptation is to take matters into our own hands. In that moment, was killing Saul, was it justified? Yeah, he was trying to kill David too. Was it expected? Obviously, his friends are encouraging him to do it. But was it the right thing to do? No, it was not. So look at how the story continues. David's conscience began bothering him because he had cut off Saul's robe. You see, in that moment, the Holy Spirit begins to convict David and he knows that something is wrong. I shouldn't have done this. And look at how he responds to that. He said to his men, the Lord forbid that I should do this to my Lord, the king. I shouldn't attack the Lord's anointed one, for the Lord himself has chosen him. Then pay attention to them. So David restrained his men and would not let them kill Saul. I want you to get this today, that it's not just what you do, but it's what you let others do too. Because David wouldn't sit by and watch his friends kill him either. See, sometimes we know and we get convicted, well, I should be a little bit more respectful. But we'll let our friends be disrespectful in our presence. David said, no, no, this is not going to happen. None of us are touching him. None of us are touching him. We're going to honor him. And I want to translate kind of what he said to his friends. In a translation, it, it, this is just my words. It's not my responsibility to replace what God put in place. It's not my responsibility. God not only anointed him, but God appointed him to be king. And I may sit here as the anointed next king, but God has yet to appoint me as king. My time has not yet come. And I'm not going to take matters into my own hands. So after Saul had left the cave, pay attention, this is a powerful moment. After Saul had left the cave and gone on his way, David came out and shouted after him, my Lord, the king. And when Saul looked around, David bowed low before. Think about this. 3,000 of the most influential warriors in the army of Israel are with Saul. And they see David walk out of the same cave that they just saw Saul walk out of. They knew what was happening. They see him walk out, and as he calls out, Saul, my Lord and King, as he bows down, this warrior who had took down Goliath all of a sudden becomes a total different caliber of man in their eyes as he displays mercy and grace. 
And look at what he says. This very day, you can see with your own eyes if it isn't true, for the Lord placed you at my mercy back there in the cave. And some of my men told me to kill you, but I spared you. For I said, I will never harm the king, for he is the Lord's anointed one. Those warriors hearing that. Saul's bodyguards embarrassed for having failed. And David bowed low before the king. I will never touch you. You're hunting me. You're trying to kill me. God just put your life in my hands, but I spared you. And then if you're here and you're in the middle of a mess that you didn't make, David says something that's really profound. He says, may the Lord judge between us. May the Lord judge. Not me. I'm not going to say anything. May the Lord judge. Perhaps the Lord will punish you for what you are trying to do to me, but I will never harm you. Can I translate what David said? He said, I will choose character over convenience. Because living through character is rarely convenient. And David made the decision that my character matters. My story matters. The person that I'm becoming matters. And I'm going to live in such a way that honors the future story that I want to tell. See, we're all just like David. We're going to face a defining moment. And I want you to see three things that go with that. The first thing in your notes today is that every mess comes prepackaged with bad options. Every mess comes prepackaged with bad options. This is why if you're dealing with a lot of debt, debt counselors will tell you that a debt consolidation loan is one of the worst things you can do because it doesn't address the problem. It's a quick fix. And the majority of the people who get a debt consolidation loan go into more debt. See, we want quick fixes. We want the problem to be solved so that we can feel the tension leave. But the problem is that sometimes that tension from the mess is actually good and holy and God's using it to make you better. See, there are no silver bullets to the messes that we behave our way into. I've said this before, okay, in this series, and I just want to remind you of this, that you can't pray your way out of a mess that you behaved your way into. Okay? And there's some of you that you've made bad decisions and bad decisions and bad decisions, and you're at this point getting a little angry at God because God won't give you something in a moment that you earned the mess in a lifetime. And there's some of you that are here today that you're in a mess and it was caused by somebody else, like David. So let me just give you a warning here. Don't use someone else's bad behavior as an excuse to behave badly. Don't use someone else's bad behavior as an excuse to behave badly. David shows you that when we decide to follow God, our, our decision is to say, God, I trust you. 
which is why number two in your notes is so very important. That if we're going to not make the mess mess here, this is what we have to do. We have to do the right thing and trust God with the outcome. We have to do the right thing and trust God with the outcome. When you finally decide to follow Jesus, here's what happens. God owns the outcome of your story. When you choose to follow Jesus, God from that point in your life owns the outcome of your story. Your job is simply to obey. You don't have to write the outcome. You don't have to write the results. God takes care of the results. Your job is to be obedient. It's interesting that seven chapters later in this story, Saul is killed by a wayward arrow on the middle of a battlefield. And almost immediately, David is appointed as king. He didn't take it into his own hands. He didn't try to make it happen. God took care of the story. God wrote the story. And see, the the problem with being in the middle of a mess is that so many times we get in the middle of a big mess and we think this is our life. This is what my life is going to be. This is, it's from here on out, this is going to be who I am. I'm divorced. I went to prison. But the truth is, is that's exactly what happens in the context of your story. That in just a few years, the mess that you're in the middle of right now will be relegated to just a few small sentences of your story. Because it's not the whole story. It may be that I declared bankruptcy. It may be that me and my wife went through a very difficult time. But I want you to understand with David that choosing to do the right thing changes the context of your story. See, David's could have been, the king was trying to kill me, but I killed him when he was using the bathroom. But his story became, the king tried to kill me, but I trusted God. But I trusted God. See, sometimes we think that our mess is the story, but number three, your response to the mess becomes the real story. Your response to the mess of your life becomes the real story. And in the middle of a mess, don't add water to the flood by choosing the quick option that seems like it's going to get you out, but it's not. See, a lot of times in a mess, we think that the mess is the story, but here's the thing. The mess is just the setting for the story. The real story is what you do with the mess. Who you choose to become in the middle of the mess. And ultimately, who you choose to follow. Because the only way out of a mess that you behaved your way into is to follow someone out. That's why the invitation of Jesus was to follow And today there are some of us that are in the room, if we're honest, our lives are in some pretty big messes. And we've been 
tempted to take the short way out. We've been tempted to try to take the easy way out, but the easy way out is just going to get harder. And if you're going to behave your way into a mess, you have to be led your way out of it. And that's why Jesus gave us that invitation to follow him. See, when you finally get to the point where you say, God, I, anymore, I don't care. It's you. I'm following you. I'm going to, what, what happens is that God takes responsibility for telling your story. And the results that you have been working so hard to make sure that they would happen, those results are now in God's hands. And I promise you, that I want the results of my story not in my hands, but in his hands, because his hands can write a better story than I ever could. See, that's where God has the capacity. That's pretty neat. God has the capacity to turn a mess into a message. And there's some of you right now your family knows that you're in a mess. Your family knows it. Your kids know it. Your mom and dad know it. Your coworkers know it. And the world needs to see someone who in the middle of a mess chooses to say, God, I will follow you. I will follow you no matter what. I will follow you. And as God begins to lead you in that mess, begins to subside and it becomes those few sentences in the story of your life, what happens is people see a story of faith in you. The world needs to see that. They need to see that in you. So let's, in the midst of our message, go to God and say, God, I'm following you. Write it through me because I want your story. Thanks for listening. This podcast has been a production of Vortex Church in Albemarle, North Carolina. For more information on our church, we encourage you to visit us online at vortexchurch.com.